What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Awesome. Well, I'll be praying this weekend. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the AwesomeMo.com NFL Strategy Show Wednesday edition. I'm Dave Lockran. With me, as always, Matt Kajeski, Kyle Dvorak, breaking down a first look at ownership. Alex Baker, AwesomeO himself, behind the scenes running the top stack tool right now at AwesomeO.com. We're going to have it all. We're going to get your first look. It's a Wednesday morning. Still a bunch of time to go. Full disclosure, these ownership projections will change based on many variables throughout the week, but I think it gives us a good idea of what we're working with early on. And um, Matt, before the show started, you mentioned Miles Sanders is pretty much where we thought he would be, but outside of that, there are some teams, specifically maybe the Eagles, that are getting a lot more ownership than I thought, and a few teams at the current time getting a lot less ownership than I thought, and we're going to get to all of that today, chalk pivots, top stacks, low-owned stacks, you name it. For sure. It just speaks, I think, to the new age DFS player. You're talking about the Eagles getting some ownership. They're a team that's largely disappointed, I'm sorry, Laffy, to start the year. And now we see them coming in with with immediate ownership. I mean, they didn't really adjust Miles Sanders' price after we saw him take on the full (laughs) workload. So, yeah, it's interesting to see after such a disappointing start to the year. Kyle, you're on the Eagles this week. And I don't, I don't think you'll be alone. I don't blame you. We're going to definitely dive into that. And uh, while we're happy to have all of you guys with us, I think it's time to just jump right into this. We got a lot to touch on. No need for the pleasantries. Let's just dive right in and start with the top owned plays for the week. We'll get into the chalk. You can see on the left side of the screen, we're going to work our way down throughout the morning. And the first one that pops up at the running back position is Miles Sanders. We've got him right now popping at 31.7%. He's $6,400. I said this on yesterday's show, and I'm sure I'll end up eating my words when Doug Peterson decides to go rogue. But all of this discussion, all of these concerns throughout the the, the offseason of, well, Doug Peterson has never had a bell cow back because he doesn't like to without actually acknowledging that the running backs he's had are Ryan Matthews and Wendell Smallwood and Leonard Fournette and Darren Sprawls and Corey Clement and Josh Adams. I could actually keep just Miles Sanders. I think most importantly, my one like fair concern, at least I thought it was a fair concern. I still overloaded on him in best ball, but my one out that I thought this is how I could fail would be if Boston Scott really takes a lot of receiving workload away. Miles Sanders got, I believe, seven targets in week one. Didn't catch all of them, but I expect that, you know, that to regress. He's getting the volume, which is what we want to see. 20 carries, seven targets. Boston Scott not eating into it. I would be absolutely considering going over the field. My only my only consideration would be that there's a bunch of reasonable values. I think they're all like between like 49 and 54 is the range. You've got guys like Mike Davis, Deion Lewis, the uh, both the San Francisco backs. So maybe if we see so much ownership on Sanders, you could possibly pivot to other just good points per dollar projections. But Sanders in a vacuum is an incredible play. He is. John Musta says, tired of the Eagles talk. Listen, Matt, so am I, but Miles Sanders is the highest owned player on the slate right now, and 32% is is a lot of ownership going to a specific player. So uh, a, a lot of lineups and a lot of winning lineups are going to be contingent upon what you do with somebody like Miles Sanders, for sure. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't even know if 32% is enough for Miles Sanders. Ooh. The problem with, yeah, with the problem with all the low price guys you just mentioned, every single one of them is in a timeshare, and none of them even has close to the same touch projection as a guy like Miles Sanders at his price, not to mention the matchup against Cincinnati is just about as good as it comes. They're six-point favorites, so game script should work in his favor. Not that he's a guy that gets game scripted out anyway, so I think you just eat that. Oh, okay, yeah, me too. And by the way, apologies, John, you're right. Uh, Eagles talk did break the stream for a moment there. <laughs> 
Eagles have broken the NFL in the worst possible way as well. I think we're all on the same page. And, hell, you even took it a step further, Matt, saying 32% might be low. Um, yeah, 20, 20, what did he have, 25 touches the other day in his first game back? There's, there's a lot to like there. Kenyon Drake, too, Matt, sticking with you, 23.8% ownership. He's been you know, disappointing to start. I don't know if it's wildly surprising given that DeAndre Hopkins has just been a do-it-all type wide receiver for this team, uh, and they've been able to produce through the air. Tough matchup on the ground against San Francisco. And then Washington's one real advantage on defense is that front seven. So it's not shocking, but his touch counts have still been up there, and it appears that the field will acknowledge this going into week three. Yeah, you might be disappointed with his box scores, but you're certainly not disappointed with his opportunity. Yes. He's averaged 20 touches per game. He's seen 36 carries, four targets to start the year. He's running a route on 47% of Murray dropbacks. So of course, he's active in the pass game as well. What we really like about Drake, and I think this Arizona team overall, is just how fast they're playing. They're second in place per game right now, 75 and a half plays. That pass rate is 57%, which also lends itself to more plays. Now you get them in the second highest total game against Detroit, I think we could actually see Drake actually turn some of that opportunity into box score production this weekend. Yeah, Kyle, 24% on Drake doesn't seem all that egregious when you can, I think, why does it feel like deja vu? We had the same conversation last week. We're a little bit surprised to see Kenyon Drake getting such high ownership. And then you see his price tag coming in at $6,000. Mind you, in a game that has a monster 54 and a half point total Arizona's implied total is north of 30 as we meet uh, reach the midway point of the week yeah my only concern would be the the Chase Edmonds factor as a receiver but the touchdown upside as we saw last season with Kenyon Drake with any lead back in the Arizona offense is unreal like the amount of touchdowns this team can put up and if they just happen to fall you know they have some receivers fall short at the one two three yard line Kyler Murray steps out of bounds before that is multiple touchdown upside for Kenyon Drake. So I think that is probably what you want from him. I, I feel more comfortable as Miles Sanders as a three down back, but the total is just obviously not the same as it is with Arizona. For me, Kenyon Drake is probably a solid tournament pivot off of Miles Sanders, although I'm not sure you need to go with that, especially because Miles Sanders is, in my opinion, probably the better, the better market share numbers out of these two backfields. He is for me too. Um, ultimately, we're going to have a few 6K guys that are really popping from an ownership perspective. Uh, and another one, though, that comes into the mix, Kyle, was a big-time disappointment last week, above 6K, of course, but leads the league in carries, surprise, surprise, Derek Henry. Uh, efficiency has been an issue, and you will get some people that like to look at box scores and like to look at some trends that say, nah, man, that's because Derek Henry is a second-half guy. Well, I don't buy into that. Granted, he has been phenomenal over the second half or final quarter of seasons. I get it, okay? But this isn't something that's going to dissuade me from getting to someone who has 56 carries over his last uh, two games. He's actually been targeted five times, which for Derrick Henry is better than nothing. Uh, Jacksonville also has proven that maybe maybe we downplayed their, their run defense a little bit. In two games, they've actually done a decent job of limiting, not running backs, because the Indianapolis Colts really beat them up through the air, but uh, they've limited back-to-back, -back, uh, I think, less than 90-yard rushing games for, for running backs. Maybe, maybe Derrick Henry needed a matchup like Minnesota, who's been decimated by injuries and a ton of turnover throughout the offseason, uh, to, to bounce back here at 7,800. What say you? Yeah, I like the spot makes sense for Derrick Henry. Like you said, this is where you want him against a weak defense, a game they can certainly win. You're much more concerned in games that they are going to be either losing or just in competitive games. I will say, though, like five targets is good for Derrick Henry, but it's not good for the NFL. That is like that has to be that has to be a concern at this point. We saw last week if he doesn't if he doesn't hit the hundred yard bonus and he doesn't score, he is not going to be a good play. And really, he needs a double score or a massive long run to be a great tournament value. So at, at his price, I'm not entirely sure you have to get to him in tournaments. He's a guy whose projection on a weekly basis does seem so fragile that for me, I don't feel the need to pay up for Derrick Henry when I think there are bell cow backs for cheaper prices. And sure, maybe you take a bit of an ownership hit by going off of, you know, going to a Miles Sanders or a Kenyon Drake. But I don't know if you need to get Derrick Henry in tournaments right now. 
I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, Matt. And by the way, hit that thumbs up if you're just walking in the door. Appreciate you guys, and it helps us a ton. If you're not subscribed yet, do that. Hit the notification bell so you always know when new shows are coming up next. And we have a ton of shows throughout the day, every single day for every sport. Um, you know, if you ran back last week's game, Matt, the, if you ran that 100 times, like you simulate that game 100 times, Derrick Henry in a spot where they – weren't playing from behind at any point. There wasn't a significant element of that game where they needed to go through the air. And Rain Tannehill only throws 24 times. Normally, and yeah, the, the pass catching upside is very much limited. But usually in a game like that, you're not relying on pass catching upside. Uh, I'm, I am curious, and, and I don't actually know, but with Deion Lewis gone and that backfield pretty pretty empty outside of Henry – do you think in games where they are playing from behind, Derrick Henry actually does see more involvement in the passing game, maybe four or five targets like we saw with Leonard Fournette last season? Or should we be expecting regardless of game flow, regardless of the way the script might flip, that he is still relegated to the same role he has been in the past? Yeah, I think we do need to approach Derrick Henry from a range of outcome standpoint rather than just saying, oh, he has you know two targets per game. He hasn't done it yet. Darrington Evans still is not suiting up for games. I'm not sure why he didn't return to practice. They're throwing Jeremy McNichols out there for a little bit of time, but this Titans team really hasn't trailed for a large portion of the season yet. They did a little bit in game one. And then last week they went back to that slow grinding offense that we know Tennessee likes to employ when they're winning. And when they're winning, of course, he's going to get all the carries when they're losing. I still think there's a chance Henry could see an increased role in the pass game. If we look at his route run data, it jumped from 44% of Tannehill dropbacks in week one to 52% in week two. That might not seem like a lot, but Tannehill is dropping back, you know, 25 to 30 times per game right now. If that does increase, we could see Henry's target numbers jump. Not saying it's a likely outcome, but it's possible. Okay. Yeah, it's a weird spot because with Derrick Henry, you, you're, you're right, Kyle. You, you do rely on, on a couple of things. One, touchdowns and he was like minus 250 to score last week. His his rushing prop was 118 and a half, which is the highest I've seen in a very long time. For real. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a 118 and a half rushing prop for anyone. Sure, it's happened. But yeah, it, it, it's a weird spot for him. And you've also got somebody like Ezekiel Elliott at a $500 increase coming in at very similar ownership. Right now, uh, Zeke on DraftKings at 18.4%. Derrick Henry at 19.4%. Uh, how do you do, do you draw a connection there? Is Elliott more appealing to you in another game that has a 55 and a half point total against Seattle? Yeah, I would be looking. They're, they're like uh, the two top backs. This is a choice we have to make now between these guys, especially given the context of obviously no Saquon Barkley for the rest of the year, no Christian McCaffrey for a number of weeks. We're going to probably be making this decision time and time again. And I will say last week, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't make money last week, but I will say there was a scenario where Zeke goes four touchdowns because he plays on the better offense. Dak Prescott punches in three touchdowns. I think all over inside the five. I know two of them were, and Zeke had multiple times where he got stuck from the one, the two yard line. I think when you look at him, he is just the pass catching version of Derrick Henry on a better offense. He's going to do it a similar way in the ground. Maybe you say he's not as talented as a runner. It feels like splitting hairs to me, but he's going to have a higher pass catching upside. He plays in an offense where maybe he has a lower market share of touchdowns, but the overall touchdown upside on an individual game is undoubtedly higher when you play for Dallas. Like this team is firing on all cylinders for at least one half of every game, we'll say. So for me, when you look at the touchdown upside you get with Zeke, it is probably in excess of Derrick Henry. The pass catching upside is, is obviously in excess of Derrick Henry. As long as there are similar prices, similar ownership, I'm going to be pivoting to Zeke in most scenarios. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I don't really have anything to add there. The only thing that was interesting to me is this Tennessee-Minnesota over is rising. It's up a point already, but I really, I, I'm in lockstep with Kyle on that. All right. Yeah, um, inside the, I think inside the uh, the 10, Ezekiel Elliott's, let's see, inside the 10, Ezekiel Elliott already has he has nine attempts inside the 10 and seven attempts inside the five this year. So it's not like he's not getting the opportunities. They'll be there for sure. You're right. Those three touchdowns for Dak Prescott could have easily flipped in the opposite direction. Even if one of those flipped in the opposite direction, 
Then you're looking at a game from Elliott that goes from 23 fantasy points up to around 30. Uh, normally, it's not going to look that way. Dak Prescott simply isn't going to get three rushing touchdowns in a game while Ezekiel Elliott uh, is relegated to one. Uh, that's a good point. And I think his price point is fair. But another thing, Matt, is we discussed this. Uh, I discussed this with Ben Rasa and Sal Vetri on yesterday's first look strategy show. You don't really have any mega high-priced guys here. McCaffrey's out. Saquon Barkley's out. Uh, Devontae Adams is is not even on this slate, right? So the highest-priced guy you have on the entire slate overall is Ezekiel Elliott and then DeAndre Hopkins. So I, I think people are going to feel like they have a lot more liberty to play some of these higher-priced guys because they might be underpriced in context to where everybody else – or in relation to where everyone else is. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it might – allow people to, I don't know, take more of a spread out perspective with their ownership. We know Miles Sanders is coming in with a lot right now, but I'm not sure we see, you know, that one player who just dominates the field as far as ownership goes. Maybe it ends up being a little more spread out this week. Of course, we'll have to monitor throughout the week and deal with injuries and everything like that. But I don't know. It's really interesting. We haven't had this kind of context to a slate yet this year, like you mentioned. All right, let's talk about some wide receivers here. Uh, actually, before we do, let, let me go to you, Kyle, with, with one more running back. I'm taking the top five uh, top five projected owned at each position. And then uh, in the next segment, we're going to go with our, our top pivots at each position. Then we'll get to the game stacks and kind of tie all of this together. But uh, Melvin Gordon is also in the equation here, actually coming up at north of 15%. So he, last week, he, I think it might have been one of you guys that said, maybe not, it was someone on, on the strategy show that said Melvin Gordon – had some value despite the tough matchup. And he did see 22 total looks, 21 touches, 19 carries. Pretty inefficient game, but that's what you should expect against that uh, Pittsburgh front. Anyway, now he's got Tampa Bay uh, in a game where they're sizable home dogs, and he's getting 15-plus percent ownership at the time. Tampa Bay's run defense, that front seven specifically, was they swallowed up opposing running backs last season almost every single week. Their huge weakness was at the cornerback or in, in pass coverage. Um, what do you make of a pretty chalky Melvin Gordon in week three? Yeah, that's another scenario where I can totally see myself just getting off of him in favor of, even if I like go for more chalky guys like a Miles Sanders, I feel better in his, I feel more confident that his ownership is correct than a guy like Melvin Gordon's ownership is correct. It's a, it's a good sign that Royce Freeman, I mean, it's a good sign for Melvin Gordon, not so much for Royce Freeman, that Royce Freeman got no work. He got three carries, didn't get targeted. So that is the upside that he controls almost the entirety of the backfield share of both targets and carries. But against a great defense on a team that I don't think is going to be putting up points in droves, they might not put up points at all. I'm just, I'm willing to say that even though it makes sense for him in the same price range as being like a pivot off Miles Sanders, I'm just, I'm not going there. I'd rather just push all that ownership onto Miles Sanders or go for some lower price guys like some of the maybe, you know, committee backs, but cheap committee backs we have priced below. All right, Matt, let's take the transition to wide receivers here. And we have to start with DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, he's averaging north of 95% of snaps played in his first two games. He's been peppered with targets from, from Kyler Murray. And look, this is a knock on nobody because nobody knew what was going to happen with Hopkins. But there was a lot of banter and speculation before the season began that DeAndre Hopkins would not be used in the same fashion that he was with the Houston Texans. You know, Will Fuller was, was oftentimes hurt watching from the sidelines. Now you've got uh, Kenyon Drake and, and, and Christian Kirk, who was yet to really show up this year. But DeAndre Hopkins, while he was only targeted nine times last week, hauled in eight of them. He's now been targeted 25 times on the season with 22 receptions and 200 and like nine, I think 219 receiving yards. Uh, he's had a very, very, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, 219. It's been a very, very impressive start to the year for Hopkins. Kyler Murray clearly feels comfortable with him. Uh, and that is showing in our ownership right now. He's coming in at a massive 31.6%. Yeah, I think this stack will be heavily owned with Kyler coming in. A, a lot of ownership there too. It's just a phenomenal matchup. You mentioned it, the game with the second highest total. As far as the DeAndre Hopkins maybe seeing a lower target share, I don't think that matters a ton. We saw Arizona go really run heavy at the end of last year, mainly because of their personnel deficiencies, but they are certainly not doing that to start this year. Again, they're running the second most plays in the NFL right now, passing about 55% of the time. 
We haven't really seen Kyler have that ceiling game from a passing perspective. He's getting it done a lot with his legs. There is a chance they spread this out more. Christian Kirk only has nine targets on the year. And of course, Hopkins is 25. But I think just because of how fast the running Hopkins still has to be a really strong consideration for lineups, especially without that stud price near the top of, of the, you know, near 10K. We don't have McCaffrey. We don't have Saquon. We don't have Adams on the slate. So I don't know who else you go to that's that high. Yeah, I mean, Hopkins has a 36% market share of targets so far, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, he is, uh, he's the guy. It's not awfully, like like you said, no one's with guys who change teams. It doesn't happen with DeAndre Hopkins, man. He is a different beast, and it makes sense what we're seeing now that he is absolutely dominant. And the way you would probably look to get different with this team is to go Christian Kirk. He hasn't got a ton of targets, but he is running. I mean, he's running the Curtis Samuel win sprint scenario where last year Curtis Samuel gets a ton of – gets all of the air yards and does nothing. Actually, it's also like the A.J. Green scenario on a smaller scale. Yeah. But I do think all he needs to do is connect on one or two of them. He's not high-priced. He won't be as high-owned as guys like Hopkins or Murray, so he can help you get those stacks different. I would say if, if you're looking for a way to get different but still want to jam in DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, I don't blame you for wanting to do that. You would have to do it with Christian Kirk. He's probably the only guy I'm, – I don't want to say I'm confident, but the guy I'm most confident on this team outside of the obvious big two and Kenyon Drake in the backfield. Does it change your opinion at all that while he's coming in a little – around 50% of the ownership of Hopkins that he's actually right now the fifth highest projected receiver? He's our fifth highest projection receiver. Fifth highest projected owned receiver. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, owned receiver. Oh, yeah. I was like, well, it's like, that's is absurd. Yeah. No, yeah, no, no that is 17%. But I think Matt just pointed out too, that this is going to be a very popular stack for week three. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It kind of depends on your approach. To, and one, our ownership projections actually end up coming in a bit high. They ended up being lower, at least in the million maker. It's different for every contest you play in, of course, but given, you know, if we're, if we're looking at trying to make a million dollars on one slate, the Dallas guys actually came in a bit lower owned than we expect. Still some of the highest owned plays this late. But if that is your, your projection that maybe the 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 crowd or the, the public is getting a little bit of too fancy play syndrome, then maybe that's your in for trying to get in on these Arizona stacks. Because we saw last week, one, the upside was obviously incredible with the Dallas game. We're seeing that again with the Arizona game where the chalk is is rightfully so chalk. If it comes in a bit lower owned than we have projected, that's really the – the smash scenario where you get reasonable ownership on a great stack with incredible upside. And another way obviously is to run bringbacks. That's kind of the key as well is that you can probably get even more different by running bringbacks. So I would say it kind of just depends on your philosophy to the slate. Yeah, for sure. And, and normally, I don't know, normally Matt, I would wait till we get to the stacks uh, segment of the show, but you're getting Arizona at an aggregate 18% ownership stack which on a 13 game slate is nuts yeah i don't think you have to go there particularly with kyler's rushing equity again we haven't seen kyler really take the top off of defense with his passing yet if we just look to they're running a ton of plays but we haven't seen a ceiling game from kyler as a passer yet as far as stacking multiple pass catchers i certainly prefer hopkins but i think you could even you know run kyler naked and maybe that'll be a little more contrarian than stacking with a pass catcher yeah, and, and I think this is what all of us would have predicted. Lockett, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, all of them uh, getting considerable ownership on this slate. They're actually two, three, and four, respectively, as far as ownership is concerned. Metcalf is coming in at uh, 13%. So they're, they're all going to be pretty much double digit. Uh, and I, I think that should be expected outside of CeeDee Lamb, whose price point has come up. Kyle, are, are, are we... Are we throwing caution to the wind here and saying, how does this Dallas-Seattle game not shoot out, uh, given the absolute ineptitude that we've seen on both defenses? Seattle allowed 464 yards of offense last game, which is just outrageous. And I know Cam Newton looked excellent. I want to take nothing away from him. Uh, but it's definitely been it's definitely been a struggle for them. Their pass rush hasn't really improved much from last season. They've now allowed... 506 yards to Atlanta, 464 yards to the New England Patriots, while the Cowboys coming in to Seattle have allowed uh, 380 and 422. So both of these defenses have absolutely been carved up through the first two weeks of the year. Yeah, these defenses just are undoubtedly not bad. They're among the worst, and it certainly doesn't help, like, to their, you know, to their credit, it doesn't help that they've both played good good offenses yeah. 
And when, like, in the game environments, the context of the games, when Russell Wilson puts up points, it does force their opponents to at least attempt to play fast and score points, which their opponents have done, both, you know, respective to Dallas and Seattle. I will say, is, like, is Michael Gallup a really easy fade, given that he's sort of being pushed? I mean, he's 10th in the team, or he's 10, number 10, God, I can't say anything. He's has 10 targets on the season. That puts him... 10 targets is behind now Dalton Schultz. It's behind Zeke, obviously behind Cooper and Lamb. He's getting a lot of air yards on those targets. But again, we talk about fragility. That means that if he doesn't connect on his, what, four to five targets a game, he drops like a one for 20 line. So for me, his ownership relative to CeeDee Lamb's, I know CeeDee Lamb got priced up. He got priced up because he's this team's number two receiver. So for me, I would say that it actually makes sense. And like lastly, CeeDee Lamb, all of these guys were very high owned. It seems like if CeeDee Lamb is going to go low-owned, he's the way you want to get your Cowboy stacks different. But I will always, you know, as I did last week and it didn't work out, again this week I am going to have games or I'm going to have lineups where I approach this game by saying if Zeke punches in, you know, two, three, four touchdowns from the one-yard line, he tanks every other Dallas Cowboys stack. And I actually think that that makes sense with the Kenyon Drake versus Kyler Murray in the passing offense. You should, or at least if you're building enough lineups, you should have lineups where – it just flips the other way, and one guy controls all the touchdowns. So it makes sense why people are so excited about these guys. I would say CeeDee Lamb is the pivot over Gallup. It makes a ton of sense given his ownership. I get the price hike. I just don't care. CeeDee Lamb is really freaking good, and you can always pivot to Zeke as well. Yeah, and it sure seems like people – the Seahawks have done a good job of limiting the ground attack, allowing only three yards per attempt. But a lot of that, number one, has to do with – Patriots ground game is absolutely anemic outside of their quarterback. Those guys had 14 rush carries for 20 yards last game. Uh, and, and I don't know if anyone's sold on Todd Gurley being the stud that he was a few years ago. So I, I, I'm willing to not write that off, but at least overlook the idea that you can only attack Seattle through the air. I, I don't buy into that. Uh, I, I will say with Gallup, man, he has a 10% target share to start the year. That is really, really bad. And I, I really liked Gallup coming into this season. You guys know my feelings on Amari Cooper. I think he's liable to disappear uh, any game. But it, I don't know. Gallup's going to have to. Gallup's going to have to turn things around for sure. Uh, if he doesn't, the, I, it's it's kind of hard to to look at this ownership and and, and assume anything outside of he is a good fate. Let's talk about tight ends, Matt. Uh, the, the one guy that's getting the second most ownership, and nobody's coming in at, like, super chalky, Zach Ertz and Darren Waller. You look at the amount of targets he's seen through the first couple of weeks and through his, and, and his production. I mentioned yesterday, this guy is legit. He's the real deal. Uh, he is going to be one of the preeminent tight ends in the league. He probably already is. He's been targeted 24 times through the first two games, and he was leaned on heavily uh, on Monday night football in a spot where they were looking to close the door on the saints 24 times on 68 Derek Carr attempts. He has a 35% market share of targets. It's the second highest in the league behind actually a matter of fact, it might be the highest. It might actually be, I think it's it is the highest. Behind, I'm sorry. Yeah, what? it is the highest. It's the highest in the league. It might, it might even be 38% depending on where you look. Some sites classify throwaway passes as, as targets and some don't. But uh, yeah, I'm looking at it here. It's even showing 38%. It's it's insane what he has been able to do and how how effective he's been through the first couple of weeks. He's going to be a great play based on volume alone. Ownership's not crazy on him, which is nice to see. The thing I'm worried about is matchup here, and it's not so much you know like New England's phenomenal at stopping tight ends, but we know Bill Bel- Belichick is going to take away the number one option on opposing yep. offenses. And who else scares you on Las Vegas? Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar, are you scared of Josh (laughs) Jacobs running the ball 30 times on second and 10? I don't think New England's going to be too scared of that. Ruggs is hurt. I don't know how, I don't know if he's going to miss the game or not, but he certainly was limited and he only ran around on 61 and a half percent of cars drop back. So there's something not right with Ruggs right now. So I, I, you know, Waller's always going to pop as a good play based on volume alone, but I just don't know if this is the right game environment to eat that 11% ownership. Yeah, Kyle, it kind of feels like Waller's a guy that will be rostering a ton this year, maybe just not in week three. Yeah, I agree. Another guy, I'm uh, like, our ownership is pretty pretty confident that people like Zach Ertz. Why are people so excited to play the number two tight end on a team? This seems absurd <laughs> to me. And, right. and I, I started joking, like I started the season, the preseason saying like, oh, maybe like I was joking about it. 
this is coming to fruition. He's leading the team in basically every receiving category. Not only is he leading them in receiving category, he's more efficient by a mile than Zach Ertz. It's like seven to four, four or five yards per target. Even Deshaun Jackson, who's not even getting like this full-time role, they're taking him off for a decent amount of snaps. More targets than Zach Ertz. For me, Zach Ertz is, is on the decline. I don't think he's done for. He'll probably have more good games throughout the rest of the year. But uh, the Zach Ertz ownership is crazy. And doubling back to... Uh, to Darren Waller. Yeah, it does seem like a spot given his ownership that I'll I'll probably be lower on. And if he has a bad week, maybe we come back to him next week or the week after. Because yeah, depending on where you look, you can also classify um targets on plays that are nixed by penalty penalties. You can count those as well. So another way that target shares kind of get messed up, but I think we lost Kyle there for a moment. Uh that is a wonderful face though that he froze on, let me tell you. Uh we'll we'll come back to Kyle once he once he comes back in. Uh, but, Matt, I think he makes some good points about Ertz. Uh, I've been on the Goddard train as well. They didn't draft him in the second round uh, and, and and run 12 personnel for like 85% of their snaps to, to not use this guy. And a lot of the misses have actually been on Carson Wentz and not Goddard. So uh, it it feels like those spots where if one, of, one guy is going to be popular that plays the same position as another guy on the same team, why not look towards the opposite direction? I don't know if you get into NBA DFS, but similarly, like in these showdown slates, if LeBron James is going to be way higher on than Anthony Davis and both of them are capable of doing the same thing with very similar ceilings, go to the guy that's getting less ownership, but's probably going to have the exact same opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And now I'm not going to call Dallas Goddard the tight end one in this offense. He has three more targets than Ertz and Ertz continues to run more routes and he's I think we have a long sample size of Ertz just being basically the wide receiver one for this team. But you put the nail on the head there. We have Ertz coming in with 18% ownership. We have Goddard coming in with 5.5% ownership. They're both on the field the majority of the time. We have Ertz running around on 82% of Carson Wentz dropbacks. Dallas Goddard's running around on 72%. So he's a full-time player as well. The offense is flowing through these two guys that basically are dominating all the targets right now. If we're going to get one who is nearly 15% lower owned, I'm going to take him for sure. Let's talk about some pivots here at the positions. Then we'll get into our stacks, our top stacks for the day. Um, I, I Yesterday's show, this caused a little bit of, uh, caused a little bit of dissension among the ranks in, in the YouTube chat. I, I still have no problem going to Stefan Diggs at wide receiver for a couple of reasons. One, People are not going to want to pay up for, for, for wide receivers that are in less than perfect spots. My point is you look at DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins has a great spot, high total, 30-plus point implied total. He's going to get a ton of ownership. Um, there are a few other receivers that are just in pretty favorable spots and in the 6K range that everyone else is going to look to, namely Dallas and Seattle. Stefan Diggs has been arguably the best receiver in the league through the first two weeks, just from a, okay, you know what, maybe don't let me go too far there. Stop me next time I say that. He's been very, very good. Uh, really, really good. And what you're seeing is 248 air yards, but Josh Allen finally being able, there he is. Josh Allen finally being able to get the ball downfield successfully. Is it going to be a difficult matchup? Sure is. At no point am I going to deny that, that this, this could be a tough spot for Stefan Diggs. Um, but here he's one pivot to me that I like. Yes, Ramsey is a very good defender. It's probably going to be shadow coverage. Diggs is fast, though. When you can create separation like that, and Allen has a heck of an arm, uh, right now Diggs coming in at like 3%. That's somebody that I'll be looking to at $7,000. And uh, once we get to some low-owned stacks, I'll tell you why I really like this one. Who are you looking to pivot to in some of these spots? Any position. We'll just work our way around. I have absolutely no problem playing Diggs. I just want to get that out there. You know, it's maybe like Josh Allen being able to throw to Diggs instead of guys like Robert Foster actually helps his deep ball. You know, he's got someone actually competent running those routes. Exactly. But I mean, Stefan Diggs, he has 22 targets, a 27.5% target share. He's running around a 90% of dropbacks. That, that dude's an absolute stud. Plus, if we look at game environment here, I don't know if anyone was predicting this before the season, but if you were, congratulations. 
Buffalo is playing really fast football. They're running 70 plays per game and they're passing a lot more than we've seen in the past. 61% pass rate. This is a Rams team that they're facing, which is also running with a pretty fast pace. They're 69 and a half plays per game. That's in the top 10. They're very run heavy team, but I think in a game that's a little more back and forth, we could see a sneaky shootout here. So I'm all in on the Stefan Diggs call, especially with the ownership and the price. I don't think people are going to play him. Love it. All right, man, we're in on this together. Uh, and by the way, you're only seeing 11.1% of Allen's attempts go 20 plus yards downfield. This is, um, this, this is a big diversion from what we've seen in the first couple of seasons, but he's has a 155.8 passer rating on him and a 77.8 adjusted completion percentage. So he's throwing less of them, but he's been wildly accurate. So, all right, let's ride it out, man. This is a, this is going to be a fun game for sure that we'll talk about Kyle. Good to have you back. We're talking pivots here. We can work around the positions. We're not going to go one by one now that we've got all the chalk in by position. Who do you like here as some as some pivots for week three off of the top owned guys? Yeah, I think I said I was going to be lower on both Waller and Ertz. And the NSA guy who watches my TV, my my microphone and watches my camera was like, pull the plug. We're we're all in on Waller this week. I'm interested in Detroit. I think this is an interesting spot on the opposite side of what is going to be one of the most popular stacks. Detroit, a team that is not unwilling to air it out. They get an Arizona defense that, well, they've made improvements from last season. They're not much better. So in my opinion, this Detroit side, especially to get Kenny Galladay back. Galladay, a guy who goes deep down the field and he gets a lot of targets relatively deep down the field. He's both an air yards and a target monster. If he comes back in week, week three, which I think Matt Patricia, Patricia said he was really close. I don't know exactly what the context of that is, but he said he was really close, and that was on Saturday. So I think there was a chance he played last week, given that that uh, didn't happen, but he could have played. It's probably that we see him in week three. That gives him a condensed, condensed target share, and people will be souring, souring on Marvin Jones after an amp performance while Kenny Galladay has been out. And the, we saw like Stafford with Galladay last year was on pace. For nearly 5,040 touchdowns. They play against a team that I still want to get access to, but I'm going to try and find ways to be unique. I, I don't know, given how high our ownership is on, on Kirk, on, on Drake, on Hopkins, on Murray, I want to get access to this game, but I don't want to do it in a way that doesn't give me any leverage. So I think the way I would be doing it is going on the Detroit side and maybe running a single bring back with Hopkins. I think you could even play it, like I said, with Kenyon Drake. If he punches in two short touchdowns, that really does kill the part of the Kyler Murray upside, which is that rushing production. So you could leverage that Murray ownership with maybe a Drake who's going to be popular, but could be negatively correlated to other popular plays. And the Osmo top stack tool actually has this as kind of a low key leverage spot. Just not enough people are going to be on it relative to the chance it actually hits. All right. So Matt, do you have any other, any other players right now that are, that are showing low ownership projections? And again, this stuff can change throughout the week, but Generally speaking, if they're really low, they're going to stay very low. Mike Gusecki being a good example of last week came in very, very under-owned across the industry. Despite Buffalo missing two starting uh, linebackers, any spots that you see we can potentially exploit right now? This guy's not super low-owned, but I was really surprised to see Julian Edelman come in at 7.8%. So he's kind of in that middle ownership range. But he's, I mean, people were making all kinds of jokes on Twitter about how tired Julian Edelman was finally running routes downfield with, with Cam Newton after Tom Brady couldn't get him the ball for so many years. But he's a guy that has a 29.5% target share. He's running a route on 91% of dropbacks. And he's actually ninth in the NFL in air yards right now. The matchup is a little weird against Vegas. I'm not sure if they'll be able to keep up in this game, but the total is fine at 47.5 points. We know Vegas, their secondary is questionable at best. They're very young secondary, allowing 7.9 yards per attempt there. So with such a condensed target share between Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman, if we just compare their ownership, we see Nikhil Harry coming in near 16%. Julian Edelman's half of that, less than half of that. So I'll take some leverage there in a particularly low-owned game, I think. So Adam Schefter just tweeted something. I don't know if you guys pulled this up. Hopefully not about Edelman. Listen to this. <laughs> Listen to this. No, 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 no. You're good on that, on that front. The Chargers team doctor accidentally punctured his own quarterback, Tarad Taylor's lung, just before kickoff sun Sunday while trying to administer a pain-killing injection to the quarterback's cracked ribs, league and team sources told ESPN. So that's what happened. He punctured his lung with a pain-killing injection. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say Herbert's probably starting this week. For good reason. I mean, do we want to compare these two? <laughs> Don't do it. Like One of them Anthony, doesn't have what a What does Anthony Lynn see in Taylor? 
What's that? What does Anthony Lynn see in Taylor? Like Justin Herbert was a baller on, I don't know how many reps he gets in practice with the first team. I'm guessing not very many. Yeah, look, the only thing that bothered me was I took the Chargers money line at halftime. And oh. the only thing <laughs> yeah, I know. Apparently Harrison Bucker is not human. Uh, that was insane. He kicked 50, 58 yards three times in a row. Uh, but that one interception from Herbert where he could have just run for the first down, he's going to need more reps. Are you familiar with the play I'm talking about, though, where he had clear, he had space for days and threw it in the triple coverage in the end zone? I could do without that. But uh, he definitely looked good in a very difficult matchup. And I think that Chargers defense is, is, is really good, even with the, the loss of Derwin James. How about some top stacks, fellas? We already got to a, a few of them. Before we do, though, I mentioned this a couple days ago. I mentioned it yesterday. I'm going to tell you again because you need to hear it. Our Express Pass, our Express subscription at awesomeo.com uh, just got beefed up big time. We thought it was a little bit light. It's $3.95 a week, $3.95 a week. We've added all of our showdown content for NFL for the entire season, all of it, right? So the NFL tops, uh, the NFL top plays, the NFL ownership, uh, the showdown ownership, sorry, the showdown projections, the showdown rankings. We have a ton of showdown content on the site. It is true. You can get a real edge playing showdown sites. I know people think it's just a toss up, but there are many true ways that you can you can uh, make good lineups, um, tell a story with your lineups uh, and create serious leverage in these showdown slates. We've got all the tools for you to do that. This is on top of all the other stuff for the Express Pass, right? So it's it's $3.95 a week just for all of the showdown stuff. There's, what, three showdowns a week? Why would you not want to want to check that out? It's less than a, a relatively pricey cup of coffee, but it's going to do a whole lot more for you in the ROI department. So go to awesomeo.com slash join and check that out. If you want to get access to all of our stuff, NFL, MLB, NBA, PGA, NASCAR, all of it, Go to awesomeo.com slash join and check out our Awesomeo Plus all access passes. Uh, you can do monthly, you can do weekly, you can do annual, whatever fits your budget, whatever works best for you. But we have the pre preeminent ownership and projections and top stack tools out there. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Uh, and you know what? I can tell you that with confidence because Alex Baker has profited, I think it's $7.3 million uh, in his tenure playing DFS. Not many people can say that using the same tools that are on the site. We don't just slap his name on them. So, you know, consider that. Let it stew a little bit, and we'll see you over there. When you sign up, check us out. Say what's up in the premium Slack chat as well. You got people talking DFS, sports betting, everything around the clock. Awesome.com slash join. We'll see you over there. All right, uh, top stacks. Kyle, Arizona, as we mentioned earlier in the show, insane projected ownership right now. I. 18% on a 13 gamer is nuts. And it's hard to it's hard to admit it's, it's hard to say you you want to get away from him. How could you want to maybe there are spots like Christian Kirk as you mentioned, maybe there's ways to create uh, a little bit of contrarianism here, but the total is so high. They have a 30 plus point implied total. This game should be a shootout uh, and now we just have to sit back and see what happens. Yeah, so I've been I've been thinking about it. I don't really like it is, you know, it's, it's like I said earlier, it's how you approach it. I think one interesting way would be so in a lot of the winning lineups, we see a secondary stack where you still get, you know, wide receiver, running back, running back, tight end, whatever it may be from a team, but they're not paired with the quarterback specifically because I, I think an easy way for it to happen in this game would be that DeAndre Hopkins low dot he catches 15 passes for 120 yards and a score. That's not that much for Kyler Murray. That's a, that's a hundred yards and a score for Kyler Murray. It is a ton of points for him because he hits the bonus. And he gets a ton of catches. I think Kyler Murray's upside has to be through hitting the hundred yard bonus. So then maybe you think, oh, Kenyon Drake. I think a Kenyon Drake, DeAndre Hopkins secondary stack could really be an interesting way to get access to this game. And it doesn't necessarily need it. It actually can even leverage a Kyler Murray down games in terms of if he, if he doesn't score a rushing touchdown, if he doesn't get a ton of rushing yardage, Kenyon Drake profits that way. DeAndre Hopkins, on the other hand, doesn't need Kyler Murray to play extremely well. We haven't seen Kyler Murray hit the 100-yard bonus yet. DeAndre Hopkins has still been an absolute fiend. He gets there because right now he's playing with a pretty low dot, but he's connecting. He's like, you know, Michael Thomas-esque in that way, Devontae Adams at the least. So I think maybe you just 
pick pieces of this game and I don't want to say you fade Kyler Murray, but yeah, I think it's very possible that given the extreme ownership we're seeing, you just run this as a secondary stack and then you try and find elsewhere. That's also the strategy that worked in week one. There were the good plays like Calvin Ridley was a good play in the chalkiest game, but you didn't want to eat every single spot of chalk. So I think maybe you pivot to a different game, but you still give all of your lineups or at least a lot of your lineups some access, but not entirely off, you know, off the charts access to this game. I love that idea. I also love this idea, Matt. Why not get a bunch of DeAndre Hopkins, get a bunch of Kenyon Drake, not in the same lineups, of course, and just take a look at stacking up this Detroit team. They, they right now, aggregate ownership of 3%. Kenny Galladay's coming in super low. Sure, we can we can talk about uh, Patrick Peterson, fine, but... Kenny Galladay is still a, a beast. He led the, the league in, in red zone targets and touchdowns last season. Matthew Stafford needs him back. Marvin Jones is a very good number two. TJ Hawkinson can at least put up some numbers. And as, as Kyle stated just a few minutes ago, Stafford was on pace for, I think it was 4,998 yards and 38 touchdowns. I see. I, I I was I used that stat a lot over the summer too, Kyle. So it's a good one. It's a good one. It is. It is. And only, I think only like, I think only 10 uh, interceptions or something. His, his interception totals weren't that bad. But uh, what, do you, what do you think about that in a game that's projected to shoot out? Only one team is really getting the bulk of the ownership. Matt. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's kind of surprising considering there's not very many stacking options with Detroit. I mean, you're basically going to play Galladay, Marvin Jones. I'm not sure you can play anyone else. We're not sure what Quintus Cephas' role will look like with Galladay back. TJ Hawkinson's only running a route on 62% of dropbacks. They're just certainly better plays than him at 5,300. The running backs are a complete mess, so I'm not sure you're stacking any of them. So it's really surprising we're not getting more ownership. I'll be looking to a lot of Matthew Stafford, a lot of Kenny Galladay. Maybe he's low-owned because he's coming off the injury. People are a little bit worried. Does he play a limited role? I, I don't think he does. It seems like he was pretty close last week. And you mentioned it with Detroit. Matthew Stafford was highly efficient last year. They're a team that's quietly about middle of the pack in plays per game. They're running about 65 there, 62% pass rate. And more importantly, their situation neutral pass rate is 62% as well, which I think is a really important stat to look at. It kind of factors out that game script nature. So Detroit already leaning particularly pass heavy. I'll be looking to a lot of Stafford, a lot of Galladay. Okay. Yeah, I will too. Uh, if that game is going to come in super lopsided on this, on the Arizona side, one way to do it is, Hey, okay, I'll still get Hopkins. I can still get Drake. This is kind of a combination of Kyle, what you said uh, in terms of maybe not have as much Murray as everybody else, but also get pieces of this game scattered throughout your lineups. And if you want to stack it, not saying don't stack Arizona, you're still going to want to have some don't definitely don't just full fade Arizona stacks. But uh, one way to, to, to kind, of, kind of piggyback this is to still get the points and yardage and production, go with a lot of Detroit. Um, Matt, sticking with you, what about Seattle and Dallas? We touched on it a little bit earlier in the show, but both of these teams, unlike Arizona and Detroit where it's only one of them, both of these teams are coming in at double-digit projected aggregate ownership. They're the only three teams, Arizona, Dallas, and Seattle, that are getting 10-plus percent projected ownership right now. I do like the stack. You do have to pay for it. Wilson's at 7.3K. If you want to pay for a guy, you know, like Lockett and Metcalf are both 6.4 and 6.5 on DraftKings, respectively. So it's a little bit more expensive than your Galladay stacks. Still, I mean, you want pieces of this game as well. You're talking about not fading that, that Arizona game. Certainly don't fade the Seattle-Dallas game either. It's an interesting spot for leverage. I certainly want some Lockett Metcalf stacks, but if we look at Chris Carson, he's not coming in with particularly high ownership, and it looked like he pulled away from Hyde a little bit. So far on the season, he's outcarried Hyde 23 to 12, nine targets to Hyde's two, but then if we look to just week two specifically, he outcarries Hyde 17 to five. He played 68% of the run snaps to Hyde's 20. That was a sharp increase towards Chris Carson, so I think you'll be able to get a bit of leverage there. Not to say fade the Seattle stack. Certainly interested. How about you, Kyle? Yeah, the Seattle stack is one that, you know, the Osmo stacking tool says, like, maybe people are going to be a bit high on. This is another game that I actually think it's interesting. Last week, Dallas was going to be absurdly high owned. Now it seems like that ownership is starting to push itself to the Arizona side of this entire slate, which is kind of interesting to me. Dallas is like 
what what did we see last week that doesn't make us confident in going back to them? They're going to be high owned, but they're not going to be absurdly high owned. And I do think I like what I like what Matt was saying about this Chris Carson usage. He's a guy who could really soak up a touchdown or two and get it done on his own. And he's a way that you can get access to the points in Seattle without having to take on as much ownership and without having to correlate yourself to Russell Wilson, who our top stack tool says maybe people are going to be a bit too excited about. So I'd probably look to I, we, we talk about this in a lot of games. Where we're still excited about the game, I'm probably just looking for a run back and stacking the other side, or just going with the the running back because he can score and doesn't necessarily correlate entirely. Although we did see Chris Carson get an uptick in receiving usage in week one with those two scores, but he doesn't necessarily have to correlate with Russell Wilson. So I'd probably look to run it back on the other side and go with like a you know a Cooper Lamb and Dak sack, and then just give me one of Lockett Metcalf, and you can definitely throw Carson in there. Okay, yeah, I like the notion that that these guys, even though they're getting ownership, really might not be enough. The, Dallas is your perfect example of a great fantasy team. To use another basketball reference, uh, take take a, the, the 2015 76ers who would allow so many points per game, but on the other side, they'd be forced to chuck up threes. They were all bad. Now, granted, Dallas isn't bad. But in basketball, you see this a lot where a team defensively is so bad that they're forced to pick up the pace. They're forced to run uh, far more possessions per 48 minutes, and it results in a ton of scoring and a ton of additional opportunities for rebounds and assists and, and you name it. In this case, Dallas's defense has been gutted through the first two weeks in pretty much every phase of their defense. It has forced Dak Prescott to shoulder a massive workload. Ezekiel Elliott's still involved. So if they keep getting crushed defensively, the only thing that's going to do is make Dak Prescott throw a lot more against the defense in Seattle that's also been crushed. Uh, if you look at the yards allowed through the first two weeks, Shaq Griffin and Quinton Dunbar are first and second in yards allowed in coverage. And by first and second, I mean worst and second to worst. They've been beat up. Dunbar's allowing, or Griffin's allowing 140 passer rating. So this is this is a, a really good spot to target. They've allowed 22 receptions on 33 targets. Not good at all. So, yeah, I'm there. Let's talk about some pivots, though, and I'll kick this one off, Matt. My favorite pivot for a low-owned game stack right now, I'll come back to Stefan Diggs, is Buffalo and the Rams. Josh Allen has been extremely efficient through his first two games, you know, albeit against Miami and the New York Jets. That's not lost on me. I get it. But he's thrown for 729 yards and six touchdowns with zero picks through his first two games. Uh, they haven't really been able to, to get a, a firm hold on the run game, which I think is very beneficial when we're talking about stacking. Devin Singletary has been, you know, okay, He's 19. He's, he's still, look, he's still averaging probably four and a half yards per attempt. Exactly. Actually four and a half yards per attempt. Zach Moss is coming in at 2.8 yards per attempt with 17 carries, but they felt comfortable going through the air. And it relates back to what you said, having Stefan Diggs opposite John Brown as your two outside receivers opens so much of the field up. Uh, and on the other side, I think the Rams are capable of scoring points too from woods to cup to Higby. Uh, they have a lot of weapons here that are going to be able to do some damage. The ground game might be a little beat up. Buffalo has a good run defense. This is actually a game right now that with looking at the ownership, nobody's coming in above 5% except for Devin Singletary. Not a single pass catcher from either side is coming in above 5%. Yeah, and we touched on the Buffalo side a lot and how fast they're playing and what that's really done for a guy like Diggs. I want to touch on the Rams side, which I think is going to come in low owned as well. We've seen the Rams play fast football to start the year, 69 and a half plays, but we've seen them come in really run heavy. They're passing just 43% of the time. They've been mostly in positive game script to start the year, but what if this flips? So we get Buffalo, they're favored by a point and a half. Last year, we saw Jared Goff tied for the lead leading, lead leading pass attempts, 662. Now, when we look at Cup, he has 11 targets on the year. We look at Woods, he has 13 targets on the year, but both of them are north of that 20 target share mark. Both of them are running around on over 87% of dropbacks. 
Sometimes I think just looking to the contrarian side of the ball and maybe game script doesn't go according to plan. In this case, even if it does go according to plan, I think you could see Jared Goff dropping back more in Cup and Woods absorbing a larger target share. All right, Matt, who do we like uh, as lower-owned stacks? We already talked about some of the very popular ones. Uh, and just to remind everyone, if you're just tuning in, coming in late, going to rewind and watch the rest later, Arizona, Dallas, Seattle are getting a ton of ownership. Uh, and Philly uh, is also getting a decent amount, too. Much of that is going to Miles Sanders, for sure. But uh, as I think all of us mentioned already, these guys are getting a little bit more as a team than we would have expected. What do you like here, maybe, to get away from the popular options? Because as we know, you low-owned stacks win tournaments. It, not every week, understandable, but low-owned stacks win tournaments. Last week, you saw a ton of Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Mike Gusecki at the top of tournaments winning $50,000, $100,000. That is what we have to focus on many weeks. All right, so I'm going to paint you a little picture here. We, You want low-owned, we're going to go pretty low-owned. And I like a Teddy Bridgewater Carolina stack. Bridgewater, he's a guy that's been surprisingly efficient to start the year. He's completing 72.5% of his passes. That's sixth in the NFL. 8.4 yards per attempt is seventh. We've seen this Carolina team really pick up their pace, similar to what you know Joe Brady ran at LSU when he was their offensive coordinator. They're averaging 68 per game. They ran 71 last week, and they're also passing the ball 60% of the time. They don't have McCaffrey anymore. So I think they're going to lean a little bit heavier on this pass game with DJ Moore, who's already seeing a near 30% target share. He's fifth in the NFL in air yards, and he's just 6,100 here. If you want to look to the other side for a potential game stack on the Charger side, they're running a little bit faster than we expected, too. They're surprisingly fourth in place per game. Everyone thought this team was going to be really slow and lean on the run. Now, they are leaning on the run. They're passing just 44.5% of the time, but fourth in plays per game. I think we could see a pace up spot here, a Carolina team that's trailing, and a condensed opportunity share for guys like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I actually really, really like that call a lot. That seems like a potential blow-up spot. Take us home, Kyle. Who do we have? So for me, I'm looking at, you know, the popular game of Philly, at least it's kind of surprisingly popular. I'm looking at the other side of the ball. By show of hands here, who likes air yards? Who really loves to chunk up those air yards? I'm seeing seeing some hands come up. Yeah, all right, fine. Air yards? Yeah. I know of a guy air yards? That, might, that might lead the league in air yards and has zero catches on deep balls this year as well. I, I can't get away. That guy... I would assume that guy is AJ Green leading the league in air yards, but surprisingly, or, you know, maybe shouldn't be surprisingly number two, as far as I can tell is Deshaun Jackson, another guy who's not been crazy explosive, despite having that upside, you can get a lot of air yards in this game and air yards correlate quite well to fantasy points. Those two guys, also the league leaders in unrealized air yards, as you hinted to, but the signal here, the thing we should be looking for is volume. And they have not only volume, crazy volume on top of both of those guys getting a ton of air yards this cincinnati side is just playing like at this breakneck pace in terms of their passing 97 attempts through two games for joe burrow he's losing but he's losing in a way that is great for fantasy we saw him like the garbage time he put up against cleveland was awesome and you're getting low ownership like i'm looking at aj green league leader in air yards we're projecting him at, like one percent ownership joe burrow we're projecting at less than one percent ownership tyler boyd a guy who can get it done out of the slot scored on the thursday night football game i believe like 2% ownership. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to be playing these Cincinnati guys despite the fact that they are looking like this like vintage garbage time team because they're good enough as a team to at least put some points on the board, but their defense is bad, their offense is going to put them in positions to score points, and they play a team that I am not afraid of as a defense, and I think their offense can put up points. I don't get why people are so excited about Philly and are just entirely, absolutely writing off Cincy. You have to be attacking the Cincy side of the game. Oh, that is music to my ears. Let me tell you. Ah, we're going to be cursing them by 4 p.m. Sunday. But for I know. now, let's, let's relish in the notion that A.J. Green's finally going to step up and have a big game. Let me expand on that for a second, too. You pretty much hit on everything noteworthy. But another thing to consider is, while the, the Philadelphia Eagles struggled in run defense last week against the Rams, that's something I think they get tightened up. This is still a very solid team when it comes to slowing down the run. It has been for many years, and there hasn't been enough turnover to assume that it's not going to improve. Joe Mixon uh, and the run blocking for the Cincinnati Bengals has been a, a significant problem. I don't think Mixon is going to get a ton going on the ground, which means, to your point, Kyle, 
you may once again see Burrow funneled into another high-volume passing attack uh, that, that results in a ton of targets for guys like Green and Boyd. Uh, with, with A.J. Green, according to Pro Football Focus, he has eight deep attempts, which is the most in the league. 20, they, they're cat- cat- categorized sorry, as 20-plus yard attempts. Apparently, none of them have been catchable. Now, I remember seeing one that I thought that was, but that's besides the point. Joe Burrow said, I can't keep missing Green on these attempts after the game against Cleveland. And A.J. Green said that he needs to be better as well and that it will come with time. The encouraging thing for me, Kyle, is that despite all of the, you know, seemingly just ineptitude between these two with three receptions on only 13 targets, Joe Burrow kept targeting him late in the game, in clutch spots. If that's the case, and everyone said Green couldn't get any separation, he couldn't get any separation. I watched that game. There were a couple of plays where he had separation and Burrow just missed him. There was one in the beginning of the game down the sideline that Green made a sprawling, beautiful catch and ended up being out of bounds. What do you think about the matchup against Darius Slay? Because Green does have a three-inch height advantage on him, clear size advantage. It should be a shadow matchup. PFF has it as one right now. Uh, do we think Green can beat him out here? Yeah, I think the the important thing is you talked about, he kept going back to him and I don't think anything is going to change even if he gets a, a good or I guess a bad for fantasy purposes quarterback matchup. And I'm just not looking to dive too deep into the weeds. I think any smart coach and any talented receiver can get their guys open on a decent amount of plays. And also I noticed something we see with uh, like a guy like Jalen Ramsey, the, the top receivers that play against him get targeted a lot. Like these are matchups, they're marquee matchups, but DeAndre Hopkins always saw a ton of targets when he played against Ramsey in the AFC South. We saw it with Amari Cooper in week one. He got a target, ton of targets. I think it was like 14 targets against Ramsey. You don't like, it doesn't seem like these really change your target shares as much as maybe they dock your efficiency a little bit. But for AJ Green, we're just looking for the efficiency rebound. Like it's it's already been bad enough efficiency. If he's going to rebound, I think it is going to be in spite of the Darius Slay matchup. It's not like that is going to be the thing that stops him from getting the connection. It's it's on Joe Burrow. That is simply what it is. And Joe Burrow knows it. So for me, sure, the, the Slay matchup isn't ideal, but it's not going to really, at least I would imagine it doesn't affect his target share. It doesn't affect his air yard share. And at the end of the day, that's what I'm looking for. And it is ownership. It is just absurd that no one's on him. What do you think of the rest of this team, Matt, as far as Tyler Boyd goes? Drew Sample, now that Usoma's out for the season with the Achilles tear. Anything else stand out to you aside from A.J. Green? I don't really want to target a guy like Tyler Boyd now that there's so many other options in this pass game. He's just 100 less than A.J. Green on DraftKings. He only has 13 targets. That's a 14% target share. I think if you're probably going to take a complete dart throw, you're looking to either T. Higgins or Sample. We, we basically saw Sample take over the full-time role once C.J. Uzoma went out. He had eight targets. I mean, I think he's a viable punt play moving forward, and T. Higgins seems to be growing in this offense with Auden Tate inactive last week and John Ross basically relegated to the bench. So I, I think it's probably A.J. Green or Drew Sample. I'm not in love with Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins at this point. All right, boys, let's wrap this one up. Before we do, hit that thumbs up. You're just tuning in or you hadn't done so yet. If you're mobile, you can close out of the chat and that thumbs up will appear. You can smash it right there. Subscribe, hit the notification bell as well. And also, we've got a pretty awesome podcast network. You go to awesomeo.com, you can check that out. Uh, If you just wanted to listen to it on iTunes or anywhere else that that pod for or any other podcast platform, check out our podcast network. And uh, something that I'm very excited about is Odd Shopper. I, you've heard me mention it on the show, but they, we have some really great stuff. It's oddshopper.awesomeo.com, or you can just get to it through the awesomeo.com homepage. You can shop odds from a ton of different books, find the best ones. You can track bets. You can set a watch list so you'll get alerts sent to you when, an, when, a, when a line moves or spread moves or a money line moves the way you want it to move or it moves against you. You can figure that out. You can wait to get the good odds. Uh, and also, my favorite part about this is I love betting player props for the NFL. I do think they're, they are beatable, uh, especially if you're using projections, if, if you really understand a game and you can search players' names. So if I wanted to look for player props and I wanted to look for passing yards for Joe Burrow, all I have to do is type in Joe Burrow's name and boom, he pops right up. He's not going to pop up this week yet, of course, because player props don't come out until later in the week. But there's so many cool things you can do. You can track all of your bets. You can keep a history of your wins and losses uh, and, and so much more for every sport. Go to oddshopper.awesome.com. I really think you guys will like, and it's totally free. 
Uh, I use it every single week. I have been throughout the entire NFL season. All right, here we go. Close it out with our favorite low-owned guy of the week because this is an ownership show. Kyle, favorite low-owned player of the week that you right now assume you're going to have a good amount of. I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go straight forward. It's AJ Green for me, and I don't even like I don't love AJ I don't love AJ Green like you do, but I mean the opportunity is there, and I would it be sure a sounds like it. I don't know. Sure uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm just uh, you know speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I know you love AJ Green, and I was a bit hesitant coming on you know coming into the year. But and I guess the final point I'll make is that as far as as far as we can tell, like targets and air yards, opportunity is a product of talent. You have to be talented. Like you said, he is able to get open. Joe Burgess isn't connecting with him. We know he's talented based on the fact that he has a history of production. And despite the the raw stat totals not being there, they are still going to him. Targets, air yards, those are a product of talent. He's still talented. He's still got it. I'm dipping back to AJ Green. And of course, I'm pairing him with Joe Burrow whenever I can. Awesome. Matt, you already know I'm going with Stefan Diggs in the Buffalo passing game. If they're going to come in as low-owned as they are, uh, I'm willing to take more shots with someone in Josh Allen who seems to have completely revamped the way that this offense is playing football, and I love it. How about you? Man, I love the Diggs call. How about we go to a semi-chalky quarterback with a not-so-chalky receiver in Carson Wentz and Jalen Rieger? Oh, I like that. We have Rieger running a route on 60% of Wentz dropbacks in week one. That number jumps to 84% in week two. I think that's largely the product of Rieger being hurt in camp and not having as much time to acclimate to this offense. We're seeing all of the ownership coming on Ertz and Goddard, even a little bit more coming in on Deshaun Jackson, who Kyle talked up a lot, and I think he's a good play as well. But if you're looking for just that edge in ownership, a really low-owned guy, Jalen Rieger slowly growing into this wide receiver one role in Philly. I think he comes in with very low ownership this week. Love it. Hey, you guys want to check out some free content on the site, head over to awesomeo.com after the show. We got NFL projections for free today, NBA ownership projections for the showdown slate. And again next week, we'll be back with you tomorrow, myself and Matt Savoca breaking down every single game. It's going to be a long one. Bring your coffee, maybe order a pizza, bring your lunch, chill with us for however long it takes. See you back here tomorrow on the awesomeo.com NFL strategy show.